In order for us to really make sense of death, we need to really live. I'm your host, Angela Kenicky. I first met Pat Shevland in 2020 when she was a guest on my podcast, episode 25 to be precise. So go look it up after you listen to this one. That time around, Pat spoke about how to survive child loss in her book, How Do I Survive? Seven Steps to Living After Child Loss. We reunited at the Bereaved Parents USA Conference this summer in person. We had a couple glasses of wine and some long conversations. And since our last conversation on this podcast, Pat lost her mother and now has a new book out called The Confident Grief Coach. It was a pleasure to catch up with her and learn more about the ways to cope with loss. Well, Pat, it was so great to connect with you again at this conference. And you have a brand new book, a brand new project that you're working on. And I know when I talked to you before, you were giving people advice, some steps to deal with their grief. And now you're talking to people about helping others through their grief. So just explain that a little bit to me. For about a decade, I have been working in the grief space as a grief coach, as a life coach working in grief. And then about a year and a half ago, my mother died. And I was actually going into caregiving coaching. And all of a sudden after she died, I got this weird message in my head. I don't know where it comes from, but it said, you're not done with grief yet. You don't need to go into caregiving. Keep with grief. And then this little vision showed up in my head, and it was to provide accessible and transformative healing for grieving families throughout the world. And I thought, oh, okay, yeah, right, Mm -hmm. how am I going to do that by myself? And then the next thing that came into my head is take the program that I developed with the wisdom of all of the grievers I've worked with, grieving moms especially, and created it into a coaching program. So I actually certify grief coaches in being able to use the Breathe Coaching Model for Grief. What are the most effective tools for grief? And what, you know, we have such a range of, I mean, grief can show, present itself in so many different ways with so many different people, also depending on the timing, how far out they are from when, you know, they lost their loved one. So how do you come up with some of these things you know, to really help people when so many people are in a different space. I think the number one thing that I really like people to work on right in the beginning is finding their tribe. And it's just a couple of people that can really stand beside them, be with them. And I have one rule, it can't be a family member because the family member's grieving too. So to really be there for you is not really that helpful. So that's like the number one thing because we don't like to ask for help. And I find that that's probably the most challenging thing when I'm working with people who are grieving is they can pick the two people that come to their mind, but then I ask them to go and actually talk to those people and ask them if they'll be part of their support network. And there's a lot of nervousness. We kind of don't shy away from asking for help. But once they do that and I ask them to take a look at what is it you really want from this tribe, from these people, And taking a look at how do you empower yourself as a griever into these are the things that I need, that I want. And then having someone there that can actually fulfill on those needs for you versus sitting off by yourself trying to figure it out on your own. So the support network is number one. Health and wellness, I mean, I think we always talk about that. We know that when we're any of our emotions, but especially in deep grief, it's going to affect us physically and mentally. So finding tools, I call it my faith toolbox, finding awesome inspiration to heal. It might be you and I just were in a sound bath. 
That might be something that we do, or it might be taking a little walk outside, or for some people it's working out and just really being able to get the endorphins going. We were part of this sound bath, which uses crystal bowls and Tibetan bowls and a gong. And you, it is really a, an amazing thing because you're not really doing anything. You're just like lying there and you can feel the vibration. What did you think of that? I'm an energy girl all the way. And so that's kind of the background. But I think when you feel that vibration anywhere, you were saying it was in your feet. Mine was going throughout my whole body. Our body is energy. We are energy. And so when we're able to move that energy through and create some openness for that, that's where healing is. And then, you know, when I think about what the Breathe program, this is because I've worked with a lot of grieving moms like yourself. And they're the ones that really have taught me. They're my wisdom keepers that taught me these are some of the things that really work to help them to be able to move forward. So it is the physical thing. There's the emotional thing. But there's the um, gratitude, gratitude exercises. And sometimes it can be really damn hard to come up with I'm grateful for something. Shortly after Emily died, I was just having a really hard time. I felt so overwhelmed, like I wanted to jump out the window. I was actually upstairs in, in, a, in a guest bedroom. I don't know why I was in that room, but I wanted to jump out the window. I just felt like these emotions, everything was so intense. And I just made myself take a deep breath and think of three things to be grateful for. And I just, I couldn't, like I looked around, I was like, okay, I'm grateful for this house. You know, I'm grateful I'm breathing. I'm grateful the sun is out. And actually that did, that that shift in my brain did really help me a lot. There's so many scientific studies out there on how gratitude, and if you do it at night, this is what's amazing. So if you create a gratitude exercise at night right before you go to sleep, it's kind of like taking something and putting it into your subconscious, but it's percolating like a tea or like, you know, steeping like a tea bag. And then overnight, so they say that over about 30 days that you do this consistently, just thinking of three to five good things about your day that you're grateful for actually changes the happiness factor. And so they've done a lot of scientific studies on that and psychology, that type of thing. I might do it for like a week and I'll, I'll go through my entire day and look for things to be grateful for instead of things to be mad or upset about, right? Because I mean, everybody has both during their day. And I will do it for a little while and then I'll be like, I'll just fall off and I won't do it. But consistency is key. I mean, I do the same thing. And then when I find like I'm in a funk or I'm just feeling a little bit depressed for whatever, what I do is I actually take my journal and I set it like right on top of my pillow. <laughs> so I can't forget to do it because when I go to bed, it's like, oh, it's sitting right there. So I'll just do that. These are some things that you're talking about that the griever can use. But now you're training people on how to talk to or how to help other people work through their emotions of grief. The majority are they have had the lived experience and they know exactly what it feels like to go through this deep grief. So they want to go out and support other people. They find that, that this is their mission in life. So basically what I'm trying to do, it's, it's tough to sit and be supportive and know what to say, right? You know, I mean, you've heard probably horrendous things being said to you that people aren't even thinking. And so I want people to really get confident that they can sit and hold the space for someone who is really grieving deeply and not tell them where they need to go or how they need to feel, but just really be able to hold the space. And because these people have had the lived experiences, I want them to go through the Breathe program with me to be able to kind of unwrap and explore their own, find some healing within themselves so that they can really stand in that space of really being a support for someone else. What would you say are the best things to say to somebody who's grieving? I love you. I care about you. 
I'm here for you. That's about, I mean, those are the main things. What not to say, can I share that? My brother died in November, and we didn't really share what the circumstances of his death were because he, my sister-in-law and he were very private about some of his struggles. And what my other brother and I noticed is everybody wanted to know, well, how did he die? Why did he die? And is that because we're worried about our own death? I mean, I, or that we want to know, so we think that couldn't happen to us. Why do you think that is that people are so curious as to the reason why somebody died? I think it's just an automatic, just, oh, I'm so surprised. I'm shocked. Why, what happened? And so we got to the point that it's like, how do we really address this as the grieving family? And so my, fun, my husband's quite funny at times, and he said, oh, I just tell people now that his heart stopped. And I thought, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> So we were able to utilize that, but that's one thing that I learned because I know I ask people that all the time, and when I went through it personally, it's like I'm very careful now. If they want to share, then I want to talk about it with them and be that available for them. But if someone doesn't want to share the cause of death or some of those things, then it's just holding the space and allowing the silence and being okay with that. We don't have to have the answers. And you have a new book out. Yes, The Confident Grief Coach, and so it's really helping your clients to be able to, supporting your clients. So like I said, I work with people who are massage therapists and yoga therapists and different types of therapists, people that just have had their own lived experience. And so this book actually is the whole program of how to become a confident grief coach. I run a certification program. I have a school called the Confident Grief Coach. But this book, if anybody would want it, it gives you all the tools and the resources and help you to work through some of your things so that you can really support others. You know, there is a place, I think, within grief, and it's different for every person like we talked about, but where people can get stuck. They can really get stuck. Do you have any advice? You know, everybody is so different, so it's really finding out where are they stuck, what's going on. I want to hear what's really going on, where is that stuckness. And then it's finding just those little glimmers. And I, I really tell people, try not to go too far out. Maybe it's just the next minute. Maybe it's the next 10 minutes. Maybe it's just tomorrow. Because we know that if we can stay more in the present and thinking about the present and not going too far out in the future or thinking too far in the past, that's where we know that we can take one step at a time. And hope it's going to be different for everybody, but I use the acronym HOPE as honoring our purpose every day. Someday you're going to find what your purpose is. We're here at this conference for bereaved parents, and I, I've never felt more connected or supported on my grief journey in my life. And I know you've come to this conference several times. Tell me what your impression is of people who are really trying to work through this, right? These are people that aren't sitting at home are under the covers, they come to a conference like this, they've all lost a child. I did a workshop yesterday, and so I asked, whose who's loss has been a year or less? And there's like four people in the back of the room. But then there's all these other people who are five years out, 10 years out, 20 years out. That's hope. That's the hope. When you can see someone who has been on the same journey as you, and you can see that they're living, and they can laugh, and they can cry, and they can just be so supportive, but they're living life, and you can see that, you know that there's hope then, oh, I can do that too someday.
And that's what I love is the supporting piece of there's the newly bereaved, the new grievers, and then there's the ones who have been walking this path for decades, and they're helping the new people. And together, it's just this beautiful energy. I just thought, I'm never going to feel joy again. There is nothing to look forward to. And I don't feel that way now. I mean, I still miss my daughter and love her deeply and wish she was with me every day. But you do learn to live again. I think this secret is time. When I'm talking with grief coaches um, who are my students, I really have them talk to the person who is coming to them to see if they're ready for an actual program for grief coaching, because sometimes you just need to sit in that initial period of time and just be surrounded in love and comfort. When I talk about time allows you to, you know, sort of get back into life, there's also, it doesn't heal all wounds either. And I just was with a friend recently and she lost her stepson to overdose. And we both said, I feel like I'm just, we, we just feel like we're going on with our lives and we feel a little bit guilty about that because we are going on with our lives and we feel a little guilty. I think that's normal too. So when you were talking about, you know, time heals all wounds, I like to, I liken this grief and these deep tragedies to that you've got horribly injured in an accident. I mean, you're a reporter. You've seen this all over the place. People go into the hospital, and you are that traumatized, like you have been in a horrible accident. And when you're first in that grieving space and, and the trauma of it and that shock, it's almost like you're put into an induced coma because our minds shut us down so that we actually can just, like, breathe and just do those survival mechanisms. But then as time goes on, and a lot of people will tell me in their second year, they're like, I got through all those first in the second year. This is so much worse. It sucks so bad. And I'm like, you know, it's almost like coming out of that induced coma and they start waking you up and then all of a sudden your nerves start firing. And it's like, oh my God, this is real. And uh, that's what happens. So it doesn't like happen overnight. It takes time. And grief comes from love. So how can it ever go away? Because your love never goes away. And I always think in the beginning, I felt like I had a traumatic brain injury. It's like an injury of the spirit, the soul, the brain. It's, it's you know, I always use this also um, analogy, the walking wounded. Like you can't, you can't see, like I don't have a, my arms not right. hanging off and yeah, I don't, I'm not in a cast or I don't have, but that injury is internal. It really is. There's a book, I can't remember who the author is, The Grieving Brain. I mean, there are true physiological things that are going on with your brain and your body when you have have this deep grief and trauma. I definitely think it's affected my memory. Absolutely. And so those are the things that, is it ever going to go away? It's hard to say, but you just keep working at it a little bit. And you're like what you're doing. And with your nonprofit and those type of things, that's where the healing starts really showing up. When I speak to groups or just running the charity, I find a lot of meaning in that where my daughter's death seems so meaningless. Like it didn't have to happen there's no real reason it should have happened, and she should still be here with me. So how can I make sense of that? Well, I can make sense of that by helping other people. And everybody doesn't need to go down that route. But don't you think it's a matter of kind of coming to some sort of resolution in your mind? And that's where I go back to the acronym HOPE, honoring our purpose every day. For you, it is really creating awareness and, and just doing things on a big scale because you can. You have that availability. But for others, it may be I have um, a couple who came to me early on. It was less than a year after their son had 
completed suicide, and their thing is that they just want to have kindness and pay kindness forward. So their thing in their life, their hope, they're honoring their purpose every day is do a random act of kindness. So if you want to give us a gift, go out and do a random act of kindness. So it's not a big, you know, 501c kind of um, thing. It is just little by little, and that's how they honor their son each and every day. At this conference, I held a workshop about creating a legacy in your child's name. And it doesn't have to be a big, huge thing. It can be a small thing, just something to bring you comfort, something to bring you joy, something to carry on what your child enjoyed or what they liked or something, a little piece of them. Is there anything else you'd like to add about what you've learned over the past couple of years? I mean, we've gone through the pandemic when I talked to you, I think it was in the middle of the pandemic. It was right after the pandemic started. And what's changed in the last couple of years for you? Everything has gone online. <laughs> so, But the beauty of that is I've been able to talk to people globally throughout the world. And the one thing that I have learned, especially over the last year since I opened the school, is that grief knows no boundaries and this whole thing of where we don't talk about grief and it's really hard to find places and people to really support you in it, it happens in all the different countries and all the different cultures. And so there really is a movement to let's start talking about this, let's start talking about what does this mean, and to really start helping one another because we're all going to experience it at one time in our life. We do want to sort of pretend like death isn't real it doesn't exist. None of us are going to die. Nobody we love is going to die. And I just don't know our culture, especially the American culture, is all, you know, so youth-oriented and we, don't, we just don't want to talk about it. Um, I'm also a certified celebrant, so I do do celebrations of life for people that are not attached to a certain religion. And about six months ago, I was doing a celebration of life and the family of this man, he was my age, um, had ALS, which is a Lou Gehrig's disease, very serious disease. But he would go and tell his family, his grandchildren, and he said, in order to die, you have to live. And he just portrayed that even when he was in his wheelchair. And I think that's the one thing that we can take in our grief and what we're doing is in order for us to really make sense of death, we need to really live just like what you're doing and everybody here at this conference. And that wraps up my series from the Bereaved Parents Conference in July. You can check out other episodes of the podcast and read my blog on our newly designed website, emilyshope.charity. If you like what you're hearing, please consider giving us a positive review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Until next time, wishing you faith, hope, and courage.